Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast, where our mission is to provide woodworking education for all levels and all types of woodworkers. To find out more about the Modern Woodworkers Association, visit us on the web at modernwoodworkersassociation.com or follow us on Twitter at NWA underscore national. Now to our host, Tom Iovino, Diami Palatki, and yours truly, Chris Adkins. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 53rd episode of the Modern Woodworker Association. And today uh, we've got just Diami and myself, Chris, and we've got uh, our special guest that we're going to actually have uh, holding in as our third today. Uh, it's uh, Tim Lawson. So uh, welcome, guys. Hello. Welcome. Yes, hi. <laughs> What's going on uh, in, in Long Island there, Diami? Uh, we're getting some rain tomorrow. That's pretty exciting. Um and uh, that's that's really about it. I've spent the last couple of weeks away and haven't had anything going on in the shop, so I can't speak to actually b- making things lately. I I know how that feels. I've been kind of in the same same situation on it, so uh, just been pretty busy. So yeah, we're supposed to be getting some rain tomorrow too. So uh, it looks like that's kind of hitting hitting all the way across the uh, the east here. So it's a well, good thing we need it. And and speaking of the east, we're going to go to the opposite side of the country and and talk to Tim Lawson. So Tim, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Um, it's just drop dead gorgeous here in Port Townsend. Uh, I can't. <laughs> I don't really want to make you jealous, but no. I, I just before I came here, I, when I left the school office, I just looked across the sound to the Cascades, and they're snow capped. They're looking gorgeous. I don't want to make you jealous in the slightest. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't uh, don't make us feel bad. <laughs> so. Um, all right. Well, great. I'm glad you're. Uh, we're glad you're on, and we uh, appreciate you coming down here with us. So, a um, couple things we're going to get to first. Um, we've got the shop, and we've pretty much stated that we have pretty much nothing going on in the shop right now. So, uh, we're going to skip on over to uh, some blog posts that have piqued our interest. Diami, what do you uh, what do you got on that, man? Well, a um, couple of them lately. Uh, Paul Marcel over at HalfInShy.com has been writing up a lot of the classes he's been taking. Apparently there's a relatively new school that's opened near him mm-hmm. and they've been bringing in some really big names. So he most recently he took some classes with um with an expert dovetailer whose name escapes me and I can picture the guy's face in my head but not his name. Uh but that's not actually the post that I was writing up on. Um is a about two or three posts ago and you have a link to this exact post in the show notes but it was a, t- a post titled My Own Marketry Project with Paul Search. And um, apparently in the fall, Paul came by the school and Paul Marcel was able to take a class with Paul Search on marketry. And having sat in on lectures with Paul Search about marketry, Paul Search really knows his marketry excellent. Uh-huh. And Paul Marcel did a very nice job writing it up. I thought it was a great post about the way Paul Search does marketry. So right. the fact that there were just two Pauls made it that much more exciting. Of course. Um, so that was that was one that I really liked well, from, from Half and Shy. Let, let me ask you on that, uh, on, on marketry. Have, have you ever done any marketry? I have not, and I am not sure that it's on my list of things I want to do. I have mm-hmm. no opposition to it, and it's not one of these things where I look at it and say, why do people bother doing it? It's absolutely mm-hmm. gorgeous, mm-hmm. but it's it's way down the list of things I want to learn to do. There's so many other woodworking techniques that I have not yet tried that I really want to. It's not high enough. <laughs> there um but it it is absolutely gorgeous and stunning and the people who do it well it's just it's absolutely amazing yeah uh, same same here as far as actually doing marketry i've never done any myself but you know there's actually a couple of projects that i've you know i've kind of got drawn up in my um in my sketchbooks that 
that marketry I could use some different marketry in there and and uh, but I've I've never really never really done any of it. Tim, what we got you here? What about you? Have you ever done any marketry? Yeah, I I did some full um, back when I was at the Center for Furniture Craftsmanship. You know, they they oh, yeah. that as a segment of the public class I did there. Mm-hmm. And then here at the school, we have Tim Swanberg teach it. So you know, every couple of years, I get a a, a top up refresher to remind me what I should do when I when I remind <laughs> myself to get round to it. Right. <laughs> Great. All right, so Diami, what was your other? We've got the other post on there. Uh, I'm going to let you take this one because I want to take the third one. You can't take the third one. Uh, All right. Hang on. Well, the second the second blog post that piqued her interest was uh, was from Shannon over at the Renaissance Woodworker, and this is, again is a couple posts ago. These are not anyone's most recent posts, but um, Shannon is going down to Texas in a couple weeks, couple months. I'm not sure exactly when he's going down to the Worth the Effort School to teach a class, and this was his little promo video about what he's going to be teaching. It's going to be a class called Hand Tool Boot Hand Tool Boot Camp. Um, and it was a quick little video. Sean at this point can do videos in his sleep, I think. And this is certainly a well-crafted video talks about his class and, um, just kind of excited to see him go out and, and teach a class. So I thought that was certainly worth sharing. Yeah, it is. All right. So since you want to bring the, uh, the last one up, go ahead. All right. So then I found this, um, this new guy on the blogging scene who thinks that he's all the shit because he posted three times in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody by the name of C. Adkins has a new blog called WeCreateThis.com where uh, apparently he's really into making things and people who, who build things themselves and create things. And he's just looking to kind of use this as a, as a repository to catch his musings and take, take some web content that he finds interesting and then just post it there. He says he's not really concerned with whether other people <laughs> like it or not. But, uh, you know, it's stuff that he likes and appreciates that people are building things and just wants to kind of support that general movement. So over at WeCreateThis.com, we so far he's got a bunch of videos that he's posted there about people making things and different things that get made. And maybe someday he'll feature something we make because uh, we tend yeah, to make things know. also. Or, you know, the folks in the MWA like to create things. Mm-hmm. But um, but I figured this is certainly going to become the new uh, – the new beacon of what's popular in terms of things being created. So I wanted to bring it to the MWA's attention and make sure that MWA members were the first people to know about this. That's right. That's right. All right. So what he's talking about, <laughs> I, um, I have always, uh, you know, I think most of us that, that are in woodworking, uh, we, we tend to like more than just woodworking. You know, we tend to, to look at, at different facets of, of making and, and creating. So, um, I tend to do that a lot, and so I'm always finding, you know, little videos or, or posts or something that's something else. You know, maybe it's metalwork, maybe it's glass, maybe it's it's whatever. Um, so, yeah, it was just a place to kind of put those things on there and just post it all to one spot. And, um, you know, nothing that I'm going to be, be writing a big blog post on. But um, still a good um, good place to um, kind of drop some, some links and stuff. So, um, yeah. If you're interested in checking it out, um, it's wecreatethis.com. Um, yeah. Well done, Chris. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so uh, moving on to relevant topics for MWA members. This coming Saturday, which will be May 17th, and yes, May 17th, this coming yep. Saturday. This, this Saturday. Uh, is Woodworking Safety Day. 
a couple weeks ago, Mark over at the Wood Whisperer asked us to kind of take it on for him because he's a bit over uh, overwhelmed is not the right word, but he's he's full with all the projects he's going on. He asked us to give him a hand, so we're happy to. And uh, Tom is really going to be running with this because Tom loves these projects where he gets the whole woodworking community together and, and organizes everyone around a single topic. So anyway, this Saturday, May 17th, Safety Day, if you have a blog create some sort of safety content, write a post, shoot a video, um, record a podcast, doesn't matter, just something to promote woodworking safety, uh, stories about near misses and actual accidents you've had are great. Also, just some of the safety mechanisms that you have in your own shop and some of your workflow ideas, anything to promote safety in the shop is well worth it because a lot of times we're in the shop, we kind of get into the zone of working or we're rushing and not in the right zone at all. And, and accidents happen far too often and they can be very severe in, in a workshop workshop can be a dangerous place. So um, it's a good idea that we all just try to share and remind everyone to stay safe in there. So again, yep. write something, record something about safety um, and, and send a link to Tom on Saturday. Tom's going to kind of aggregate them all and he's going to have a post with as many links in it as he can. Um, Hopefully, it'll be a link to one of your things. If you send him the link, I'm sure he'll post it. And we're just going to do everything we can to promote it. Um, in the show notes, we have a link to Tom's post about uh, Safety Day. And it's a post from Tom titled Non-Link of the Week. It goes back to May 9th at tomsworkbench.com. And in that post, he has a video that Lawrence of Midnight Woodworking or Midnight Woodworker. Uh, sorry, Lawrence. I'm screwing up your blog name. Um, was nice enough to create for us. And it's the MWA Safety Day uh, graphic. So if you want to go over to Tom's non-link of the week post over at tomsworkbench.com, you can copy that graphic off of Tom's site and throw it into your own, and we'd be more than happy for you to use it and just share about safety. Yeah, and this this has been a hugely successful, you know, and when Mark started this, you know, it was kind of, uh, you know, just trying to to get some people involved and, and bring up the importance of safety. And, you know, the past couple of years, I mean, it's just got huge. I mean, there's so many people involved with it. Um, and then Tom started – what two years ago the the woodworkers uh, or the get woodworking week and yeah, uh, you know it's, it's kind of a follow up to uh, getting the community together and uh, you know and it's been successful so uh, so things like this are pretty exciting because it just brings everybody together and allows everybody to um, to get out and, and and write write some some great information down and uh, and share it with everybody so uh, it's a good way to to be able to get a lot of different similar content uh, from a whole bunch of different bloggers and and you know online um, you know creators and stuff to uh to be able to put into one place so definitely uh participate if you don't want to write something uh just at least make sure you go by and, and check out uh check out what everybody else has written and if you're listening to this odds are you have even the tiniest presence on social media i know all of you guys do come on so if you don't want to write something fine just take the things that other people are writing and share them we just want to spread safety for the day yep all right, so that brings us to our main topic. Uh, brings us back to Tim Lawson of the uh, Port Townsend School of Woodworking. So, again, welcome, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. So, t- tell us a little bit about uh, a little bit about the school first. Okay. Well, um, the school um, opened in two thousand and eight at Fort Warden State Park, but really the genesis of the school. Um, happened on the third day after I moved to Port Townsend. Um, There's a story that my now ex-wife and I 
told which there's how did we decide to go to Port Townsend? Well, my ex-wife had gone to school with people who lived in Port Townsend and I'd read all Jim Tolpin's books and I knew that Jim lived in Port Townsend. Well, it turns out he lived two houses away. Oh, wow. And <laughs> Jim's next door neighbor came in and um, said, we're holding a block party for you guys. And at that block party, Jim Tolpin was the first person I met. And I think within five minutes, we decided that we needed to open a school in Port Townsend. And um, that kind of went on hold for three years. And then we got together in 2007 and started the process to open the school. Wow. So what brought you to town to Port Townsend, rather, if not the actual school, if the school was a result after you lived there? And it sounds like you knew Port Townsend yeah. was, a, was a cool place. But what actually brought you there? Well, um, I was uh, at that point, um, I worked in the bit mines, which is my euphemism for working in software. So I worked in software for about 20 years and I was getting pretty burnt out and decided that I wanted to switch to being to doing furniture making. And so in, I think, 2000, I went to the Center for Furniture Craftsmanship and then had to go back into engineering for a while. <clears throat> and then in 2004, it became pretty apparent that um, a move back to the Northwest where my wife came from and her family were ailing was on the cards. Oh. Um, but it was a, it, but it was a chance for me to um, try to become a furniture maker. So okay. I moved here, set up shop and tried to figure out what furniture I was going to start making. And I took the hardest possible route which is trying to figure out how to make studio furniture from the get-go. Mm. And let mm. me assure you that that is not the successful route to start furniture <laughs> making. Um, because about the time that I realized I wasn't going to make it as a studio furniture maker um, was the time the conversation about starting the school got really, really serious. So I was lucky in that I'd spent you know, about three years perfecting my chops, understanding how to do a whole bunch of really fairly complicated woodworking, but then realized I wasn't going to be able to sell it. So that's when Jim Tolpin, John Markworth, the third partner in the school, and I got together to form the school. Wow. So, um, so I, I may have lost my thread there, but you know, basically the three of us got together um, decided the school was a good idea, mm -hmm. but like anything, we decided to test the school. So in August through September of 2007, um, we put on seven courses from an introduction to cabinet making, built-in furniture, all sorts of things, you know, just a, across the spectrum of woodworking, but primarily stuff that we could talk to and we offered seven classes. We put 86 people through that seven classes. So we took that as proof of concept. And during that process, we were offering the classes at Fort Warden State Park, which I'm going to be modest, probably has to be the most gorgeous location anywhere for a woodworking school. Right. It's just a phenomenal location in an old state park that's on the extreme northeast tip of the Olympic Peninsula. So there's kind of water on three sides. If any ship comes in from the Pacific through the Strait of Juan de Fuca to get into Puget Sound, it basically does a right turn around Fort Warden. So, you know, it, it's a stunning location. 
So having got to know the folks at Fort Warden, um, they asked us to become a partner in a lifelong learning center that is um, still in the process of creation there. Wow. And that enabled us to, to get started. And we started in about 2,200 square feet of space, which gave us a bench room and a very modest machine room. So, and so we formally go on. No, no, no. I just go, go I was just going to ask about, you know, you were talking about how many students went through the, the first year and, and how has that grown? Um, well, yeah, we, we, we now put about 320 students a year through the school. Uh -huh. Um, but, but to put that in perspective, the way the school's organized is in the fall and winter each year, we teach a 12 week, um, woodworking foundation course, which is almost wholly hand tool. Wow. Um, it's a course designed by by Jim and, you know, with a lot of input from the rest of us. So there's a real focus on the craftsmanship of understanding the tool and understanding the material. Um, I mean, one of my theses is you probably shouldn't use machines until you know how to use, until after you've learned how to use hand tools. Sure. You know, most people don't do it that way. But if you understand how wood works with a hand tool, it's much easier to make the transition to machine tools, in my mind. Um, so we offer the course with that focus in the fall and in the winter. And that class at the most can only take 10 students. Right. Um, then in the spring and summer, we offer week-long weekend classes um, across the whole spectrum of woodworking. Um, it's anything from a beginning hand tool class with Jim Tolpin through wood turning, chair making, what it takes to design and build a gypsy wagon, um, coopering, a whole array of furniture making with people like um, Garrett Hack, mm -hmm. Jeff Miller. Um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, we're, we're extremely lucky in that we can attract some of the biggest names in, in woodworking to, to come teach at the school. Um, so, I mean, the way I look at it is we put, we do, we do about 26, 2700 bench days a year at the school. Wow. So that's, you know, one student at the bench for one day, sure. okay. which, which is a lot of people through the school. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I think one of the fascinating things just in, in what I've, you know, kind of, you know, read about and heard about, and, you know, I know we, um, we had some time to kind of talk uh, out in Pasadena. I think we were just talking before is what year and a half ago or something like that when Woodwork in America was out there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's fascinating. Just uh, it's it's not just a woodworking school. I mean, you guys really do a lot with just you know, like you said, with going into coopering and things like that. You know, and really brings out a lot of the 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 almost forgotten crafts. You know, kind of picking up on a lot of that stuff. And that's that's you know, there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things, and I, I think one of the, the the real strengths of the school is, um, you know, is Jim Jim Tolpin, right? In that he is this philosopher explorer of woodworking, and you know, he'll get this sort of itch to go explore something. And you know, when we were starting the school, we were probably teaching to tools, you know, machine tools more than we were teaching hand tools. Mm -hmm. And Jim was getting really fed up with wearing dust masks and goggles and hearing protection and all that. 
<laughs> that's when he really started his exploration of hand tools. And really our focus on hand tools evolved from Jim's sort of complete change of heart and change of attitude to woodworking. And so, you know, he's, he, go on. I was going to say, did the school break Tim? Was it, was it the, well, break him in the sense that he was, he was all, all moving along in power tools and, and have and content with that. And then the constant exposure to him made him switch to hand tools. And I'm, I'm using that in, no. a, in a mocking sort of way. I don't literally mean it broke him, but um, was it a no, direction I, he was I, moving I, on on his own? Yeah, he was beginning to. I mean, I think Jim was a very, as I said, very sort of reflective, very philosophical um, guy. And I think he wanted to get back to the purest form of woodworking, which is, I think, working with hand tools. I mean, I, I recall having a very early discussion with him where we were actually talking about the Northwest um, First Nations uh, Native American tradition of working with wood, which is when you're working with an adze and a crooked knife. And you can actually do that walking about. I mean, you can hold a piece and be working on it, just walking around. Right. So it, it was this sort of exploration of how do you get closer to the material and how do you have a more mindful and more engaged experience with work? And for Jim, that came down to hand tools, and that led to his whole exploration of the genre and the new traditional woodworker, which has been one of those books that seems to have changed the conversation about hand tool woodworking, mm. which in combination with, you know, Chris Schwartz's, um, I, I actually view Chris as the Pied Piper of the uh, hand tool renaissance, right. um, is, you know, has really helped people make the transition and enjoy working in a, in a quiet meditative shop. Mm -hmm. You know, one one of the things that's that's always interesting to me is, you know, you you were kind of talking about just kind of how you were kind of getting into it and and learning and all that. It it always amazes me. You know, when I was in the military, I I I trained and and taught people for a, a portion, and you know, and every once in a while, I'll you know, I'll at a local get together or something here, I'll do a little course or something and, and teach. And I'm always amazed at how much you learn by teaching. You learn more oh, by yeah. teaching than you do setting through someone teaching, you know, setting through a class. And it just amazes me in that fact. So I can, you know, I can imagine with you guys, you know, you know, how much you've, you've grown as woodworkers, you know, through this, this past few years and, and journey in that, you know, I, and, you know, and just going through that and evolving your own woodworking. And a lot of times, you know, I imagine that that allows you to do things that, and, and getting into a past and getting into more hand tools that if you're a production furniture maker, you can't necessarily do because you're worried about production. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you know, and let's be honest. I mean, we, you know, we do teach woodworking vocationally, but it's really kind of the one-on-one, the, the foundations of woodworking. And if you are going to go into production work, you've got to be focused on efficiency, repeatability, right. accuracy, just to just to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. um, so we acknowledge that in the way that we teach, and we really are teaching those foundations of craftsmanship. But one of the things I will have to say, if you look at the efficiency of the artisans in the 7th, 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries, those guys were fast. Right. 
yeah. you know, you, you look at something like a high boy and, you know, they've built one of those in 10 days. Wow. Wow. It was just a stunningly short period of time. Yeah. And they did it by hand. Part of it is they'd figured out what, what you guys were referring to earlier, the sequencing, the, you know, how do you lay things out in a hurry and get it done and get it done accurately and consistently. And perhaps more importantly, you know, if you mess something up, you can actually resize it to the messed up dimension. Right. Now, that's one of the beauties of working with hand tools is you can accept the craftsmanship of risk. You can you have the skills to be able to adapt to the way the wood is and and any changes that occur during the process. Whereas if you're working sort of machine intensive, everything's got to right on the first time. And if you mess it up, you it becomes a much harder process to, to fix, at least in my mind. Mm. Yeah, no, I, can, I can see that. I, I tend to be more machine focused myself. And I would say that there's times when you're still using things like relative dimensioning with machines. But to do that means you're adjusting the machines for each cut, which takes a lot of the efficiency out. So certainly, um, if you're working to be efficient like that, I think that the hand tool is a bit more flexible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. As I say, I'm not advocating you know, hand tools in an absolute sense. But, you know, just knowing their place and knowing the choice that you're making as a woodworker. I think a lot of people get the machines um, because there's, I think there's huge societal slash advertising pressure to go out and buy a set of machines to have a fully equipped wood shop. And then I wonder just how fully all those machines are used. I mean, you can get, go on. No, I I agree with that to a degree. Um, but maybe it's just the 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 circles I stay in. I think these days, at least within the online woodworking community, I would argue there's more pressure to work hand tools. I think um, it's I think it's become that way. I think, but I, I think to that extent, there's a lot of people that are online that are in the community that kind of go through and and push the hybrid and push hand tools and stuff. Um, but you know, I still think that a lot of your people that, you know, that say that aren't part of the online community and go, you know, they're, they're going down to home Depot and picking up their tools or they're going to, you know, they're, they're doing some of these shows that, that maybe aren't some of the more custom stuff. And I think there is still a lot of, uh, a lot of beginning woodworkers, if they don't know where to go, a lot of time their perception still has some of that, you know, the, you know, all the power tools, but you're right. I do think that there's definitely a big movement in, in coming around towards hand tools and, and, um, you know, and, and, and a lot of that, you know, kind of like Tim said, I mean, I, I do think a lot of that probably comes from, from Schwartz and, um, you know, and, and, you know, others just kind of pushing that through the online. So I think the online community has actually definitely pushed things towards, um, hand tools a lot more than they had been, you know, prior to, um, you know, blogs and social networks and things like that. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. Um, you know, a lot of people come in knowing about stuff, but, you know, for some of our courses, we're fairly, you know, particularly Jim's Handle Heaven, we actually push the students fairly hard not to buy any tools, not to make any investment until they've taken the class and know mm. what they're looking for. And mm. the, we, we, we seem to get a very, very positive response to that because, you know, when they do that, they'll walk into the school and perhaps the first time they use a hand plane, it's one of the planes that we've set up and it works perfectly. Right. That really changes um, somebody's experience of using a tool. You know, if you if you do go to um, and just buy, 
you know, a cheap plane. It's a, it's a deeply frustrating experience. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's conversations that we've had on here numerous times with between ourselves and others. And, you know, that is a very frustrating thing that if you go down and pick up a, you know, a cheap plane, they just don't work. I mean, and you get frustrated and you think, well, I don't know how anyone uses this, but the first time you use one that's really sharp and tuned and set up, you're like amazed. Right. Well, I, I sometimes think over the door of the school, we should have a, you know, we've got the, the, the school's um, signboard, but sometimes I believe beneath that, we should have a, a little sign that says woodworking can damage your wealth. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I'm here. I'm here for the money. Are you saying I made a mistake? <laughs> well, you, you may have got things way more figured out than I have. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Unless I don't. <laughs> But there's so many things that, you know, the thing about hand tools is, you know, there's so many things that you can do with with power tools. But there's a lot of things. I mean, almost all of us at some point in time have to go and and pick up, you know, a hand tool to for certain areas. And there's just certain tasks that it just works better. So it's not, you know, like you said, if you if you learn these basic skills, um, they're going to help you be a better woodworker. You know, if you're if you're. You know, even if you're going to be a power tool user, even if you're going to use power tools all the time, there's times that you're going to step back and go, hey, this this just works better for the task. You know, it, it does a better job at it. Um, and, you know, depending on the project, whether it's setup time that that's that's making it easier, or whether it's just, you know, reaching an area. Yeah. I mean, one of the one of the things um, I know and it and I'll talk about woodworker who should remain nameless, um, you know, he's extremely accomplished really efficient and you know he can probably make a side table pretty much from scratch in about mm. two and a half hours mm. you know he's fast he's good. that's fast um, but if you know and because of his his name he could probably sell that for you know a, a good well-proportioned well-designed sign table for about 750 dollars mm. if he then takes the time to do fine details on on the legs maybe done some inlay a little bit of marquetry and that may be a couple of days time that piece goes from being a 750 dollars armature to something that he maybe is able to sell for three or four thousand dollars right so you know in the back of my mind is where does the true value add come in the process and the way you use the tools and the way you think about using the tools because mm. if you can use hand tools to then suddenly take what you've done by machine to pop it you're able to change the narrative about your work and change the way people relate to your work and so if you're if you're going to be a furniture maker i think it's really important for you to think about where is that line? What's the level of detail and the detail that you can talk to? I mean, whenever I'm talking to people about what's the transition between being a hobbyist woodworker to being a professional furniture maker, is it's got to be the story you tell. It's not, yeah. it's not the designs. It's what are people buying? What is it that compels them to engage with you to buy into your vision that you express through your work. Right. So, you know, when I stop and think about that, it's, you know, how can you explain a love of detail, a love of shape, a love of form, and how can you relate that to the tool set? So, 
I, I feel that we're trying to sort of encourage that. And my long-term goal is to offer a series of classes that really facilitate people to work in that way. So, you know, that's coming around to the hybrid model. But just at this point, our machine shop is not as capable as I would like it to be to fully teach to that model at this point. We'll get there, and I think we'll mm -hmm. get there fairly soon. But I, and I want to talk about uh, the back to back and talking about the class in a minute. But just to, to touch on that for a second, I think that's a that's a wonderful point to to teach to people. Is you know, there's a there's a difference between just knowing how to make something, knowing how to make it to sell it knowing what embellishments are worthwhile and which ones aren't. And that that in and of itself is its own art. And for the people who are looking to build furniture professionally, I would think that that's, that's really the critical thing. I mean, there's lots of places where people can learn to, to build furniture. But if you could learn how to, how to tell the story about furniture and make it, make it interesting furniture for whatever market you're looking for, I think that's a real – there's a real shortcoming of people who can do that. And I think that's why – it's so hard to make furniture for a living. Right. And I think you're making a good point there because part of what you're trying to do when you are, and you know, we're really talking about higher end furniture rather than middle level or low end furniture, mm. is you really are trying to build a relationship with a customer that makes the customer want to come back and get more. Yeah. You know, that really is perfection if you if you are really a serious furniture maker is you know they like your style they like the way they work with you they've got this warm fuzzy glow when they walk into the uh, studio they're eager to see what you've done that that's the mark of a successful furniture maker is when you can consistently build that relationship with your customers that was a point that when we were discussed we were talking with charles brock a year or so ago and um, mm -hmm. what a point he was making was that when he makes his chairs for customers, he likes to bring them into the shop and typically they do a few minutes worth of sanding. But he said just that connection of letting them play the role of a participant and letting them, uh, you know, quote unquote, help build the chair connects to them in an, in an unbelievably important way and involves them in the process. Mm -hmm. um, no, I've, absolutely. Um I have some ideas on classes, but I'm not going to share them on air. Yeah. No, no problem. <laughs> um, but no, with the classes, what I was – I wasn't looking to, to st steal the secrets of your new classes. What I was looking at was um, – I've linked it in the show notes, so we'll publish this when the, when the post goes up uh, – your class schedule for 2014. And I've not taken the time to count, but there are – there's got to be a few dozen classes offered uh, throughout the year. Um, I, think it's, I think it's 58 or something. It's, it's, okay. um, it's a pretty high number. So looking at this casually, they appear to all be essentially one-off classes. Not that there's not common themes and you don't need certain amounts of skills for some of them, but it's not like a, a two-year program. It's all specific one-off classes. Am I, am I reading that right? Is that the format of the school, that each class is a specific um, focus, but they're, they're days to weeks, but not a, not a multi-year program? That, that's correct. Um, that was, you know, if you're really going to teach a multi-year program, you need to be an accredited institution and be able to offer a degree or, a, you know, have some relationship with some institution of higher learning to make that succeed. Okay. And we're not at that point yet. Um, we are having, you know, we're going through a whole strategic planning exercise at the school and realizing that over time, we will need to aspire towards that. 
and where we are at Fort Warden, there's certainly plenty of space to, for, you know, for us to be able to add workshops or rather convert buildings to be additional workshops and teaching space. So I, I think that's on the cards, but I think in my heart of hearts, I'd never offer a multi-year class. Okay. Um, my vision of, 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 a, of, a, of a program I think would work, and I, I'm, I'm, I have a tendency to be a little bit of a heretic, is I would like to offer three 12-week classes that it's impossible to take in, you know, in continuous sequence. Um, the first of the 12 week classes we already offer, which is the 12 week foundation course, okay. um, you know, which is really the hand tool centric class. The second class, uh, second 12 week class, and I'm, we may be able to offer this in 15, but I'm not sure yet. I, if, if anybody was to ask me now, I'd probably say 2016, is I want to offer what I call a bread and butter furniture making class. And this um, is the idea where we teach people how to make furniture in a very, very efficient and driven manner. Okay. One of the beauties that we have at Fort Warden is there's a lot of accommodation there. There's, you know, old offices, houses, NCOs, housing. It's all, um, it's all sort of booked out, you know, so that you can rent a house for a week or a weekend or a month, things like that. And what I would like to be able to do as the bread and butter furniture making class is take a class of 10 students and say, you class are operating as a furniture making company for 12 weeks. And your mission is to build the furniture for that particular house. And so that as a team, you would work on how to build the beds, the side tables, the dining table, the chairs. And as a class of 10 people, build all that furniture in that 12-week period. But we'd be running it like a company. So okay. you, you learn the design, the pro, you, you, you work with the client, you'd figure out the designs, you'd figure out how to make them efficiently. Hmm. And you would then have to figure out how to do effective production. Because in my book, I think what happens, and it's certainly the, the step I didn't take, was learn how to make furniture that I could build efficiently and sell people would like. So, you know, right. so I had the bread and butter income from a basic level of furniture making. So I think right. if you can understand how to make good furniture efficiently, over time, you'll be able to build up a client base, you'll be able to build up even some inventory. And then once you've got inventory built up, you're then able to take time to explore other designs, other options. So in my mind, the second long class we would offer would be this bread and butter furniture making. That sounds fantastic. I, mean, I think that's a really practical class. Yeah, so that's my hope. And I hope that we can offer that class within the next two years. And then the third in this triptych of classes would be really, you know, studio furniture making. How do you add the art, the ultimate in craft to the, the furniture that you make? And again, I see these as three 12-week classes, but that we almost require you to go away and work for six to, you know, three to six months between the classes to build that set of experience. Because I think sometimes if you go through, you know, a two-year academic course, you don't have your nose rubbed in reality at any point. And I think it's important that that happens. Mm. So that that's sort of the vision I'm nursing along for the school. You know, a few of my board members might beat me around the head with a two by four for having shared, that, but um, <laughs> you know, 
No, I but it's, but it's an interesting finished. concept because it almost is. It almost makes it like a, I don't know, sort of an apprenticeship, like you know, where you're coming in mm-hmm. and learning some, and then you're going out and testing these skills, and then you know, um, interesting concept. Yeah, well, that, that's the way I like it. No, I was going to say I, I think it's interesting, and from my perspective, not as an academic or or a board member, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, that's those are all valuable skills for. Um, for furniture makers. And mm-hmm. I think what you say about, you know, rubbing their nose in reality and not letting them just, you know, spend two years with their head down making furniture in this abstract ivory tower is that's true of any point of higher learning. Um, and I think that's a really good, a really good strategy because at the end of the day, if, if they end a two year program and are phenomenal furniture makers, but don't have the ability to to market or price or build on a timeline or connect with customers, then they're not prepared for what they you know what they're aiming to do. Um, if they want to build furniture as a hobby, that's great. But I would think people who are going through those kinds of programs expect to be able to make furniture for a living. And unfortunately, there's mm-hmm. a lot more to making furniture for a living than just making the furniture. To on some levels, I would say right. that making furniture is the least important part of that success because to most of the customers, again, it's the story that matters, not necessarily you know that you spend five hours on this one joint. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I mean, then, you know, that's a great, that is a great point. And um, so, as I say, I've got my fingers crossed that we can pull this <laughs> off. Well, well, you've got um, our support. Definitely. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, just whilst I'm, I, I mentioned studio furniture just now, is it okay if I dive off and talk about the Furniture Society Conference? We're most holding, most we're definitely. Anything, you'd like, anything yeah, you'd like absolutely. to talk about, jump in. Okay. So, you know, sometimes you have to be careful what you ask for because you might get it. Uh, <laughs> um, Fort Warden um, is a conference center, lifelong learning center, and it's got room for 400 people there. And it's got a, you know, a really great um, cafeteria restaurant with stunning food. Um, and it's, it occurred to me for a long time that it would be a great location for the Furniture Society to host its uh, annual conference. Nice. And so I was talking to Jean Esland, who's their executive assistant. Um, you know, she, she, Jean is phenomenal. She, I, I can't praise her highly enough. Um, and I was on the phone um, renewing the school's subscription to the Furniture Society. And I said, Jean, you know, I've been thinking about asking the Furniture Society if you want to hold your conference at Fort Warden. And she's, she paused for about the whole of 45 seconds and said, yes, would you like to do it next year? Um, that was in 2012, but we managed to <laughs> deflect them to 2014. So anyhow, in the um, starting on the 19th of June, we have a three-day um, conference with the Furniture Society here. And we're hoping there's going to be a couple of hundred people, furniture makers of all different walks from some of, well, I think actually there's two people that are being recognized for being some of the most extreme furniture makers in the country. And I've gone and forgotten their names, which is deeply embarrassing. But <laughs> um, but if you go to the Furniture Society uh, website and um, check out the conference, we've got uh, three presentation tracks We've got six activity tracks, and there's going to be a lot of conversation, a lot of mingling and schmoozing and 
parties on the beach and tours. We've got um, on our activity tracks, we have um, we've got a lot of support from the local community. Um, and perhaps one of the things I didn't talk about is the sheer number of craftspeople that we have in Port, in Port Townsend. It's completely disproportionate. So we've got the wooden boat school um, building a boat. They're going to be steaming and planking, uh, steaming the planks and planking a small boat during the conference, and oh, wow. people can work in and help on on that. We've got um, Ashley Eriks Moenson, who's I think the chair of the furniture program at the University of Canberra in Australia, and Ashley loves pushing people's sort of ethical buttons, and she's building trees from old furniture. <laughs> that's awesome uh, you know in a, in a project called reforestation so she's she's a st- assembled a great crew of furniture makers to help with that um there's a bunch of the uh, people here in port townsend who are doing a, a project called from the forest and this is how do you build furniture or even sculpture just by starting with a tree and we're literally starting with a tree they've uprooted a a fair size um, madrona tree, and that's going to be their starting point. And I, I, I lose track of the devious things they're planning to do to this tree. <laughs> we have um, uh, an Irish chairmaker, Alison Ospina, who's coming in to teach the traditional um, way of making ch- chairs from green wood. And I, I'm really excited by that because. I grew up with the tradition of coppicing, which I encourage you to go look up. It's um, it's where you basically chop a hazel tree down to its knees every seven years, and you take all the wood that grows, and you can use it to make chairs, make furniture, make stuff for the garden. Um, okay. And by that, things like peat sticks and bean poles and everything. Um, it's a it's a it's a practice I think ought to be deeply adopted in this country. But again, I'm a heretic. <laughs> um, so Alison's teaching chair making. We've got Takyashino, who's coming in from uh, Japan, who's going to teach how to do sort of make make a chair that's essentially for meditation. And I'm personally fascinated by this. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how he um, shapes these chair seats that articulate and tip hips forward to put you into that comfortable position for meditation. And hmm. there's somebody I've left out in all of this. I'm hoping that we're going to have a bandsaw mill here doing demonstrations. Um, and that's just the activities. Oh, and we've got, um, so we're going from the greenest green woodworking uh, to having the shop pop crew here um, doing a, a digital design and fabrication workshop throughout the conference. Wow. So we're spanning pretty much at the practical level, the, the whole spectrum of woodworking. So anything from working with an axe to working with a CNC controlled machine. Wow. Then the presentation tracks just reflect that diversity. Um, that that sounds like an absolutely stunning conference. Well, it is, and you know, I would really encourage anybody who's you know got a few days can squeeze in, you know, the time to come out to Port Townsend to just come and join us because it, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. And the thing that sort of humbles me personally is. As I was learning furniture making, I, I would read about, you know, these epic furniture makers, you know, people like Gary Knox Bennett, um, Michael Cooper. I, I, I'm losing track of the names. But 
you know, these these people who are kind of the superstars in the furniture world, and these people are just going to be at the conference, and you can come here and hang out with them and get to know them. Um, and that, I mean, furniture makers or woodworkers, I think, to a fault, as my um, bookkeeper reminds me, are some of the nicest people in the world. <laughs> you know, furniture makers, woodworkers really get cranky, very rarely get cranky with each other. It's It's actually a quite a joy to behold so i think the the, the conference is going to be um, a huge amount of fun and if people can come and join please do uh if you want to check out more go to the furniture society website and click on the conference link and you'll see just everything that we've got to offer and we'll have we'll have links to that in in our show notes too so people can find it there or at what is it furniture society fern f-u-r-n-s-o-c.org um, yeah. the Furniture Society website, and you can find the links there. Um, and I just need to make a request. June 29th through – June 19th through the 21st, I'll actually be hanging out yep. much closer to Chris in North Carolina at a wedding. Uh, so I won't be able to attend. But, Tim, I will expect you to post frequently about it in the Port Townsend School of Woodworking Google Plus community. Um, you? Thank you for the subtle reminder because I think I haven't posted there in about a year. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Diami loves to call us all out. Yeah, um, busted. <laughs> no, that sounds like just, I mean, a completely amazing conference. Um, you know, anytime you yeah. can bring all that different, you know, diversity and just, um, you know, it just it's fascinating stuff like that. So definitely sounds like that would be a, a conference that, that would uh, be worthwhile going to. So. Mm. All right, so um, so one of the next things that that we do with everyone is we ask um, we ask five questions of each one of our guests. Um, so to start out with that, uh, the first question you actually sort of started to answer, but I want to um, I want to dig a little deeper into that. And our first question is is how did you get into woodworking? And I know you spoke about you know kind of how you you you're starting at the the school, but kind of what. I guess my question is: Is what drew your interest? I mean, did you had you done any woodworking growing up? Um, you know, where where did you really kind of get started in your your woodworking and interest in woodworking? I I mean, I did do woodworking when I was at school. Um, no, don't start me telling tales about that because you'll never get me off the uh, off the show. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it really wasn't until in the mid nineties. I mean, my degrees in geology, I worked as a geologist for six years. I traveled for a couple of years. Then I ended up into software. And probably in the, it was after I got married in the mid nineties and moved to a house that had a huge basement. I suddenly realized I could, you know, I'd been interested in woodworking, but was always sort of struck by the need that I needed decent shop space to do it. And then I moved to a house which had the shop space to do it. And um, so during some of the renovations that we did on the house, I was able to set up the shop. And then, you know, I was in high tech. They were paying out silly money in those days. And I got a bonus that allowed me to go out and just equip a shop. I mean, it was it was insane. But I, I'm not ungrateful, but it was insane. And so I got a shop and I'd equipped it. And I'd been going to... And so I, I tried to fix that myself and, you know, by doing all the book learning and, and things, but realized what I really needed to do was go to school. Um, so I quit um, software in 
in late 2000 and ended up going to Peter Korn's Center for Furniture Craftsmanship in Rockport, Maine. And that was a totally transformative experience for me. Um, I went there really aching, busting to learn how to make shaker furniture. And I think somewhere like about week three of the class, I suddenly realized that curves and curvilinear forms really called to me. So I went from wanting to make wow. this achingly square stuff to making right. stuff that you know, <laughs> almost doesn't have a straight line in it. So that was a transformative experience for me. And, you know, the, the staff at that school were just phenomenal. You know, I, I, I look at the people that I got to work with very directly, you know, not only Peter, but people like um, Daryl Keel, who runs vacuum pressing systems. You know, I, you know, I, you know, I was just hanging with those guys, you know, just learning every iota of what they were doing. And that's what very much influenced the direction I went in with my furniture. I mean, if you do want to see some of my furniture, you can go to my completely unupdated blog for probably five years, um, which is tim-lawson.blogspot.com. And you'll see the, 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 this sort of very flowing furniture I made. And I just used that as a, as a medium to explore a lot of furniture making techniques. So um, I guess that's the answer of how I got into woodworking. Nice. That's a beautiful owl father and flying butcher's table. <laughs> That's an excruciating mm. pun. Read, <laughs> read further. Uh, I, I will, but now while we're on air, I was just uh, bedazzled by the, <laughs> the beauty of the table. That is, that's amazing. But regardless, we will have links to that infrequently updated blog in the post and certainly some pictures of your furniture. But um, if that long tale starts how you got into woodworking, um, let me jump into our second question, which is, what is your favorite tool? This is always a tough question. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, you know, I think it's a spokeshave. Hmm, nice. I just, I just love, I mean, you've seen my work there. Most mm -hmm. of the detail of the curves on the legs, even where there's, you know, even where I ferret into the joinery of the other parts of the thing, most of that shaping is done with a spoke shape. Um, so, you know, I, I, I kind of live and die by that. If I had to have a second and third choice, the second choice would be um, the Oreo rasps because they're phenomenal. Yeah. And then maybe my third choice would be actually the crooked or bent knife. Hmm. Sorry, I cheated. I got three for one there. You get, you get three for one. It's okay. You know what? We, um, we we used to back in the beginning kind of pick our tools and and uh, and they tended to change almost every time <laughs> and <laughs> and then we ran out of tools to to say was our favorite at the time so we we quit doing it but yeah it, it's it's great um, but basically I mean you know the the seems that your your tools of choice uh, tend to be you know the way that you said your woodworking turns towards is is shaping so absolutely. All right, so our third question, um, who has influenced you the most in your woodworking? That's a tough one. I, I'm not sure <laughs> any one person has. I mean, mm -hmm. somebody who really influenced me in the way that you can construct really sinuous, interesting compound uh, components was Jerry Osgood. Hmm. Do, you, do you know the work of Jerry Osgood? No, I don't. Um, Google is your friend and be yeah, prepared to be stunned. Um, 
he he does um he invented the tapered or double tape tapered bent lamination techniques okay um yeah, i think if you go back to fine working it's either the seventh or eighth um issue there's a seminal article by jerry on how to do that i mean it's a stunning technique it's a huge amount of work um but you can create forms that are almost unbelievable wow and I just completely spaced on the on the name. There's an <laughs> English furniture maker, um, John. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll let you know who. It, I'll, I'll let you know so you can put it in the show notes. Um, right. Damn, I can see I can see the piece clearly in my head. I just can't pull up the name. Okay, on to the fourth question. <laughs> fourth question. All right, we're, we're moving on. Um, what was your biggest stumbling block in woodworking, and could it have been? Could it, could it have been avoided? Absolutely. Um, so when I graduated from the Center of Furniture Craftsmanship, um, I think I came out of there with a much more engineering notion of woodworking. And you've seen my pieces, and there's lots of complicated angles and shapes and intersections. And I got myself to the point where I believed that the only way I could cut those accurately was to figure out how to hold a curved component at an exact angle and then use the table saw to cut cut the face. So I could spend three or four hours, if not a day, figuring out how to hold the piece at the right angle. What I now know is that if I can draw the line with a pencil on a piece, I can take a handsaw, clamp the piece in the vise, cut it, and and use a block plane to true the face and be done. So to me, the liberation of understanding how to use hand tools took me away, takes me away from the tyranny of trying to figure out how to do something with machining-like precision. Right. Mm. So that that's a very, that very good was, point. Yeah. Yeah. Because one of my theses is, is if you can soar to a line, you can build anything. I mean, literally anything from a jewelry box to creating a timber frame joint. If you can know how to use a hand sport, you can just do it. And I think a lot of us in woodworking have lost sight of just the sheer adaptability of a really good hand saw. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I was actually talking to uh, my father about this not too long ago, and, and we were talking about, um, you know, he was a, a contractor as well. And when he was doing the, the roofs and cutting the, the fascia board, you know, he would always cut the fascia board on an angle. And they always cut it with a handsaw. And mm-hmm. and I asked, I said, why did you always cut it? And he says, because we could cut it to the line better than we could with a skill saw. He says, we were just used to it. He said, we we used a handsaw so much, he said, that to cut to the line, we could do it faster and, and more accurate with a handsaw than we could with the skill saw. <laughs> mm. But, you know, it's because well, they were and, accustomed and to it. And they were, yeah. Yeah. So I remember name of the maker it's a british maker it's a guy called john makepeace john makepeace never looked at his work make yeah. go look at his work you yeah. said makepeace m a k e okay i think it's p e a c e okay yeah john makepeace wow i okay i've i've seen his pieces yeah yeah he's he yeah. he had a deep influence on me wow uh, our listeners will just have to Pause for a moment as we stare at gorgeous, <laughs> gorgeous pieces on the internet. Well, make sure you uh, go by the show notes, and we'll have links for everything in there. So make sure you go in there and check it out and pull the links up. So, 
Um, so I will continue on with the fifth question, and that is, how has the internet influenced your work? Good question. <laughs> and maybe it hasn't. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to think. I think. I think what the internet has allowed me to do is to to gain the knowledge that's allowed me to refine my choices right. before it allowed me to explore possibilities and refine my choices. I think particularly around tools is was allowing me to look at the options and making a, a much more informed choice in terms of working with the community, which I, I suspect is the, the sort of thread behind your um, question. I'm not good at that. I'm really good at face-to-face or person-to-person. Right. Um, I, I, I'm not, good at that sort of keeping up a, a blog, as you can clearly see. It's about all I do to keep up with the school's website. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, think the, I think the question is is geared a couple of different ways. I mean, yes, is it, you know, because some of our, our guests will, will do a lot of, you know, social interaction and blogs and things like that. But, you know, the fact is, is, you know, it, it seems to have influenced everyone as far as just, you know, and, and everything we do and not just woodworking, you know, and just the amount of information that we're, we're able to gather. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good comment on it. Mm. All right. Well, um, I think that's about it, Tim. Have you got anything else you'd like to like to discuss, or do you want? Or, to, you know? or if if there's so even if I, what I go on, Tim. Sorry. Yeah. This, so there's two things. Is um, the school? Well, as you guys observe, we run a lot of classes. We're also completely open to suggestions for new instructors, new classes. Um, any thoughts about? you know, something that the school could offer. And my, what I would say explicitly is don't hesitate to um, shoot me an email, um, tim at ptwoodschool.com and say, hey, Tim, what about this class? Or what about that instructor? Um, Mm -hmm. Mike Lingenfelter has successfully persuaded me to (laughs) bring an instructor in. I can't remember who it was, but he did. Great. Um, He's a a fellow NWA guy. So great. Right. And um, the other thing that I would just throw out to um, the MWA as as a, as a gentle challenge, and you know, to, is to examine your travel budgets, is um, you know, if you guys wanted to organize a meet or have us offer a weekend specifically for you guys, we do that. Nice. So um, you know, hand wave. What do I mean by that? Don't know. Um, it's part <laughs> of what I'm doing is sort of throwing out a gentle challenge or yeah. saying, you know, do you have enough people who would want to get together? Sure. I mean, if it was a small, small group, Hey, we'd hang out, talk woodworking, drink beer, but you guys do that already. Um, <laughs> or if it was a bigger group, you know, we could figure out, you know, how to put on an, an array of different topics and presentations and it would be a delight to do that. So, you know, I, I just, I love I that. Just throw that as a, as a, as a gentle invitation, gentle challenge. So, so what I'll say to, uh, to our MWA, you know, people you know and members and just you know all you out there um send send us an email on that uh if you're you know local in the area let's 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 talk that sounds like a that'd be a a fun little uh deal to set up so yeah most definitely we appreciate that and uh see if we can set something up with that absolutely that sounds absolutely fantastic yeah man now i'm sitting here i gotta fly (laughs) across country again (laughs) (laughs) 
No, oh, it's just, a, know, just, just it's a fascinating school. I mean, I would love to have the opportunity to come out and take a look at it, you know. But, um, yeah, definitely anybody, you know, that, that's especially local or, or anywhere near local, um, get with us. That'd be great. So let me just say one thing. Um, one of the beauties of Port Townsend is that we're not like a single-threaded community. Uh-huh. If you wanted to bring your family out, and let's say your wife is a fiddler or a great musician or a writer, Right. Or you want your kids to go to a marine science workshop or a historic workshop. Right. We have got a huge array of activity that can go on in parallel with, you know, you making sawdust right. in the in the, the workshop. So we'll be making a huge array of things available mm. to do in Port Townsend much clearer over the next over the coming months. Um so think about it not just as a Oh, Chris is going off on the woodwork trip. Bye. <laughs> it's all the whole family's going off. Bring the whole family. And I love it. And all have a stuck time. No, that's awesome. Great. Well, thank you. We appreciate mm. that. And uh, that's definitely <laughs> something I'd like to entertain. So, Absolutely. Well, on that note, right, so, you know, so um, I, I'm, I'm being slightly rude. I actually have to go to the pub. Well, <laughs> that's right. You did say you had to go to the pub, and, and we've kind of dragged on here for a while. So, uh, but one last thing before we let you go, Tim. Where can people find sure. out about you or perhaps more importantly about the school online? Um, www.ptwoodschool.com. Okay. It's, um, it's, it's all there, and if there's something that confuses you, just ask. It means I messed up, and I'll mess up for that. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, Tim, we really appreciate you coming on, and uh, we've really enjoyed this. And, uh, you know, it was good, good talking to you again. I enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you for coming on. You uh, too. And Get off to the pub. Well, Go have okay. a pint. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, really is a joy. And as I say, just, you know, either, either of you or any of your listeners, just don't hesitate to contact me if there's something that intrigues you or something right. you think we should offer. It Sounds would be a d- delight to discuss that. Good. Well, thank you, Tim. Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. You too. Take care. Uh, Good night. Good night. I'm going to take the role of Tom here and say that that was absolutely fantastic. I really enjoyed talking to Tim. I um, I spent um, I spent a lot of time when we were out at Woodwork in America out in Pasadena. Uh, Tim and I sat down um, one morning with with Nick and at a little coffee shop. Um, just downtown in Pasadena and just spent a couple of hours just, just talking. I mean, and, and I did that a couple of times, just, you know, catching up with him, just fascinating guy, um, you know, a wealth of knowledge and just, you know, it, it's, it's like you're, um, he's just a neat guy to, to hang around there too. So, uh, yeah, it's just great, great, great talk. So, mm. so speaking of who do we have coming up next? I don't know that they know. Ah, so we have a secret coming up next time. Yes. Uh, well, perhaps we should speak to the MWA liaison and see if they've been contacted. Liaison. <laughs> we'll have to see next time. <laughs> Maybe we could have Tom on as a guest next time. We'll have Tom on as a guest next time. I don't even know who we have on the oh. books. I guess that means that we need to yeah. look at this. So. Yeah, that's that's probably not the best conversation for. Okay, on fine. Air, we'll so. have this after the the after the show. Um, but that said, if there's somebody, we should probably be asking this all the time. But if there is someone that any of our listeners would like us to have, by all means, let us know. Um, Tim is not an example of this, but as you may have seen from other guests, we'll have anyone on. So 
Just let us know who you want us to talk to, and we will gladly reach out and bring them on if we can. No, I mean, that's a that's a, a, a really valid point. I mean, we've spent, you know, 53 episodes doing this of, of you know, picking and, and trying to, you know, get people and convince them that uh, we're not crazy when we call them and, yeah. and ask them to come and on the show. Th- so. There's no re- – and to, in case people haven't realized this, there's no rhyme or reason to who we have on. It's a combination of who's willing to talk to us who we find interesting, any one of us individually. There are times when we have a guest on who two of us have never heard of and the other right. person really likes. Um, and and there are people who uh, who we just all all know through the community. So yeah. um, if, if they want to talk about woodworking, please, let's bring them on and, and talk. Most definitely. All right. So uh, – Should we wrap this up? Yeah, let's wrap it up. So all right. So that about wraps it up for the show. It does. Uh, huh? It does wrap up the show. I know. It does. So you're going to wrap up the show now. I'm trying. Do you want me to wrap it up now? Could you wrap it up, please? Okay, here we go. All right, so if you're missing us already, you can subscribe to the show and iTunes. Uh, you can just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. And once you subscribe, uh, you'll never miss another exciting episode. Um, one of the things that I always like to say in this is make sure that when you go on there, please, you know, give us a five-star rating. And if you can, um, give us a review. You know, just tell us, uh, you know, how you what you think of the show. Um, it, it helps, you know, it helps us in our rating so that other people can find us. So, uh, we appreciate anything you can do in that. And if you want to find out more about the modern woodworkers association, be sure to visit modern association.com. Follow the MWA on Twitter at MWA underscore national, like the MWA on Facebook or circle modern woodworkers association on Google plus. While you're there, join the MWA Google Plus community for project sharing, discussion, and loads of woodworking banter. All right. So until next time, I am Chris Adkins, and you can find me at highrockwoodworking.com, or you can find me on Twitter at highrockww and all those other internet places around. Places such as, I don't know, maybe um, wecreatethis.com? You can also find me there now. And I'm Diami Plotke of penultimatewoodshop.com. On the Twitters, I am at Diami Plotke. That's D-Y-A-M-I-P-L-O-T-K-E. And I believe that wraps up the show. So thank you for listening. We'll see you in two weeks.